We've been in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit uh, is the one who forms God's church and enables God's church and empowers God's church. And today I want to look at the Holy Spirit as the dynamic agent in the life of the Trinity. Many of you know I love talking about the life of God. There is no becoming in God. There is no changing God. There is no shadow within God. Not because God is some lifeless orb, but because God is so full of life. God is so full of activity. God is so full of pure act that you can't add more to him if you even tried. That's what it means for God to be changeless. For God to be changeless does not mean that he's just you know, floating out there like a rock. That's inaccurate. It means that he is so full of dynamic existence, you couldn't add more to him if you wanted to. That's how full of life God is. And it's interesting, when you look at the Holy Scripture, that dynamic life is revealed in one particular member of the Trinity. So like the sovereignty of God is revealed primarily through who? God the Father. The Word of God, the activity of God in redemption is revealed primarily through who? God the Son. And this dynamic act is revealed primarily in the Holy Spirit. This is why in the Old Testament, you know, when Samson's about to go beat some people up, right? The Spirit descends on him. If anything good is going to happen, you know, like where you need a lot of strength, a lot of power, a lot of dynamism, it comes from where? The Holy Spirit, because he's the unique person who reveals the act of God. And so today I want to look at how that act of God in the Holy Spirit brings us first to life. It brings us to new life. And then I want to look at how it forms and fills God's people. So if you would, please turn with me to the very beginning of the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis 1 and 2, a decent amount today. Genesis 2 verses 5 through 8. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work on the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, some of you might know this, but the biblical word for breath is in the Hebrew, ruach, and in the Greek, pneuma. Now, both of those words are, you know, what we would call an onomatopoeia, right? Remember, as a kid, you learn onomatopoeia, you got real excited about it, right? What does that mean? It just means a word that communicates what the word means. So look at it. It's ruach. It's a very breathy, pushy kind of word. Pneuma. It's a real spitty, breathy kind of word. Both of those words reveal this inner breath and action that comes out. And so what we see is the Holy Spirit is the breath action that comes out of God. Because who do we know God is? He's dynamic life himself. He's the perfect act of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't get more active than that. In fact, it's so active, it looks consistent. Think about it like a waterfall. A waterfall never stops moving, but from far away, it looks still, right? 
That's the dynamic life of God. And when he creates humanity, he breathes into them life. He breathes into them existence. What this reveals to us is there is no life, there is no existence outside of derived life, derived existence. God gets his life, his existence purely in himself. There's no one that gives it to him. No one can kind of charge God up more. He's full tilt all the time God, right? My sermon intro, I'll I'll get to it because I actually like this. I often... I know, I can't help myself. I often talk, when I know there's a little boy, my son's a kindergartner. And when I know one of the little boys who's his friends, and I've sensed a a bunch of them, when I see that they're acting real wild, right? Just, you know, just can't contain themselves. I like to pull them aside and I say, you know what I love? I love how you reveal God to me. And then their eyes get real big, like what I do, what I do, right? Because I normally think this is gonna be bad. But I love how you reveal God to me. Because you know who is the most wiggly, dynamic, never stopping person in the universe? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you are revealing who God is to the world. God made you to be active. He made you to be full of life. One day I'll teach him he made you to be peaceful too. But for now, he made you to be active. Shankar, you're from India. I've never gotten to go. I can't wait to get to go. But when I look at India, I just look at humanity. And there are so many people. And I look at so many people that need the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also look at God's handiwork here. He is the God who loves life who loves existence, who didn't need to create, but chose to create because he loves that which moves, which acts because it shares in who he is. But it's interesting. That isn't just the original creation. It's also his recreation because we see at the very beginning, God breathed into humanity. And when he redeems humanity, what does he do? Go back to our gospel reading today. This is a passage we quickly move over, but is just, you could unpack it for a year. On the, uh, John 20, 19 through 22. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. That's not just him saying hi. He's won for them peace upon the cross. He's announcing what he did. That's the gospel proclamation. I brought you peace. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He's commissioning them to go forth. And then what does he do? And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see how the Bible just constantly brings things full circle? God commissioned Adam in the garden to bring order in a chaotic world. And he breathed on him life. And when Jesus Christ redeems humanity and brings them into new life, he commissions them to be sent out into the world and he breathes on them his power. What we see here is that the spirit-filled life is not God's plan B for the world. The spirit-filled life is God's plan A for existence. To be alive is by definition to be filled with the spirit. And so many people in our world are living a life that isn't life. 
They're living a life that is death. They're living a life choking for air because they've been deprived by the spirit because of the fallenness of our world. The reason why we partner with missionaries, the reason why we share the gospel with our neighbors is because they are suffocating. And yet so often in life, we, we just act as if their life's okay, my life's okay, we're all doing okay. But you truly believe that the only true life is the one that is lived in continual step with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, breathing the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. Here's why I often don't think that we find that to be all that important. I'm not entirely sure we know, many of us know what it's like to actually breathe the Holy Spirit. Notice like that everything God says in the Bible is intentional. What is breath? It is a continual movement of dependence. We often think Adam and Eve were created and they were just like absolutely self-contained. No, they weren't. They needed food. They needed air. They needed water. God made us to be contingent and reliant in the beginning. And God made us to be contingent and reliant in the future in the new heavens and the new earth. God made you to need air because God made you to need the one who is true air himself, the Holy Spirit. But I know I do this and I wonder if you do too. We live our Christian life as if we're underwater. And church is when we break the surface. We go up for air. We get a couple of gulps of the Holy Spirit. We hear God's words preached. We celebrate his sacrament. You know, maybe there's a couple other times we breathe during the week and then we plunge back down trying to operate on just a couple breaths of air from the Spirit and then our own strength. How many of us live that? You and I were meant to live absolutely dependent life on the Spirit every moment of every day. And that reality is meant to be shared. That reality is meant to go forth into the world so that more and more people might experience life himself. And yet I know in my own life, I get distracted with other things because I'm not actually breathing in the spirit every day. And so the, my, then my heart isn't moved to compassion for those that are suffocating. Brothers and sisters, do you know what it looks like to live every day in dependence on the spirit? Every day in reliance on the spirit. Every day, let me put this positively, being strengthened by the spirit. Uh, many of you know I just got a nose job. Uh, I did. I've not been able to breathe through my nose my whole life. I didn't know that wasn't normal until I was in seminary. That's how dumb I am. But yes, I was like, Every, well, you know, breathing through your nose stinks to one of my friends. And he goes, no, it doesn't. I said, yeah, well, yeah, it does. It's terrible. I said, no, it, it doesn't. It's better than breathing through your mouth. That's, that's inaccurate. How many of us don't know what it's like to breathe. I finally found out for the past three weeks what it's like to breathe, and I don't want to go back. <laughs> what would it look like for you to breathe the Spirit every day? How would the Lord strengthen you and equip you if you knew what it was like to breathe His power, His strength every day? 
There are days when you need a deep breath and there are days where you just need a calming presence breath. But what does it look like for the spirit in your life to strengthen you? And does that move us to compassion for those who can't breathe, those who don't breathe, those that are living in the slums of India and desperately need the breath of life? First, we see that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone is the giver of life. There is no life to be found outside of him. Now, I want to look at something quickly because I'm, I'm, I'm already out of time. But I want to look at something because, again, part of... I've talked to you about this before. My hope is that we all have... Preachers often have ideas of what they're trying to do in the pulpit. And I've shared with you, I want to help you exegete the human heart, open up your hearts to God. But also, I want to teach you how to read the Bible so that when I'm not around, you know how to read the Bible. And what I want to do is, is, is show you that the Bible is crazier and weirder and way more interesting than maybe what you've been taught. And it all loops around because God's the best writer ever. So look with me at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, and then put your finger at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. I want to look at how the Spirit forms and fills us. Look at this. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So what does the spirit do in the Christian life? He forms us into a temple. And what's the purpose of a temple? It's the place where God dwells. So he forms us into the temple of God by making us like Christ and forming us as the body of Christ. He's the architect. We don't do that in our own strength. The spirit does that. And then what does the spirit do? He builds us into a house and he says, that's the house I'm going to live in. And he comes and dwells in it. Now, turn with me to Genesis 1. And let's look at something interesting. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we could very quickly move beyond this, and there's actually a lot of complexities here that I don't need to get into, like what is this void and formless, deep reality? We don't exactly know. But before God created, it appears that there's something, obviously he brought into existence, but this something doesn't have form. That means there's no structure to it. The Hebrew can mean something like a desolation, a desert, a worthless thing. And it's void, meaning empty. There's nothing to it. There's no substance underneath it. It's a vacuity, an indistinguishable, ruined thing. And then there's its darkness. You can't see it. It has no beauty. It's misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness. Hebrew language is amazing. It can mean so many different things. But what do we see? There's this reality that's not a reality. There's a nothingness. It's formless. And in the ancient mind, if you don't have form, you don't have life. It's void, meaning it's empty, it's hollow, and it has no visibility. And what does the Spirit do? He hovers over it. And then the Lord speaks, the Word speaks, 
and the Spirit comes and forms the word, the world. The Spirit hovers over it. That means it's a position of authority. And when the, the Lord, uh, the, God the Son, speaks by the power of the Spirit, He forms creation. He structures creation. He beautifies creation. And He fills creation. Because what is the Garden of Eden in the Old Testament? It's a temple. It's the place where God dwells by His Spirit. So what do we see the Spirit doing at the very beginning? He is forming. He is filling. And then what do we see humanity do in the fall? Well, Karl Barth, the great theologian, often said it's impossible to talk about sin because it's formless. It's void. It's darkness. Our sin drove creation and ourselves back into this formless void of nothingness. But then what does the Spirit do? Through the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection, the Spirit recreates humanity and forms us, fills us, beautifies us by His power. What we see the Spirit doing is recreating the world through the Son breathing back life into existence by dying our death, by dying as the one who is formless, void, and invisible upon the cross to bring us back into life. And here's the last thing I just want to say before I conclude. So often in our lives, we want to be the architect and artist that forms our existence. But who is the one that forms, fills, and beautifies life? Who is the only one who has the authority to make the blueprint of our existence? Who is the only one who has the authority to carry the paintbrush to beautify us properly? Who is the only one who is the true poet that can fill us with the perfect story? It's the Spirit. And I know in my life, I want the pen to write my own story. I want the chisel to form my own statue. I want the blueprint to make my own plans. And we're called to hand over control to the one who can truly form us, fill us, beautify us, and give us life. And that good news of the work of the Spirit is for the people of India, for the people of Littleton, for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who brings life. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that takes dead things and makes them alive. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who breathes existence into us. Lord, would we cling to you? Lord, would we see your resurrection power? Lord, would we see your goodness? To the glory of your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.